everybody, it's Leah with Legends of Tabletop. Today I'd like to share with you a panel I got to record at my local library's writers' conference. This panel is titled, Writing About Moral Injury, presented by Cindy McDermott. If you have ever considered writing characters that have served in any branch of the armed forces or public service, such as first responders or police, this panel may be of great interest to you. Above all, I hope you enjoy. Cindy McDermott is an award-winning author, a video producer, and a PR expert. She spent 25 years managing employee communications for Alcoa and aluminum manufacturing in the aerospace, automotive, and specialty markets, and focuses her video production in the areas of nonprofit, manufacturing, and the military. Cindy served in the United States Navy for 21 years and is a founding member of the Kansas City Veterans Writing Team, where she helps current military personnel and veterans and their families tell their stories by helping them learn the craft of writing. In 2016, she co-founded the charity Moral Injury Association of America to help veterans who struggle with the impact of moral injury, which is common among military, police, and first responders though it's only recently been recognized by mental health professionals. In this session, Cindy will discuss moral injury, how moral injury differs from post-traumatic stress disorder, and how it can impact your primary and secondary characters and the storylines you create. Please join me in welcoming Cindy McDermott. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for turning out today and hearing my presentation on moral injury and um, like you heard, I was 21 years in the United States Navy. I was a public affairs officer for uh, nearly all that time. And I had never heard of moral injury, never heard of moral injury, even though it is a huge impactor on military uh, individuals. So uh, it was really a surprise to me. And I actually had to come to Kansas City because I was living in Iowa most of the time. And I came to Kansas City and got uh, connected with the Church of the Resurrection, there was a keynote speaker for Veterans Day dinner there one time, and it was Dr. Rita Brock, who is a national leading researcher on moral injury. And uh, it was just like this light bulb went off for me in knowing now that's why so many of our military members are suffering with this, uh, this affliction. And so what my goal is, is to talk about moral injury and present it to the community. And then I'm hoping that you, as writers now, will use it in your poetry or perhaps your short stories or your novels or whatever that might be. And you have characters that you develop that have moral injury. And then you can educate uh, your fans and readers as well. So in this workshop, uh, characters who might suffer from moral injury will go over. And it's not necessarily a person, but it may be that job opportunities that they might have puts them at a higher risk of developing moral injury. And we'll go over those in just a minute. I'll give you a layman's definition of moral injury, which is certainly something that I can relate to because I like things easy and simple, and so I will share that same information with you. And then we'll talk about the difference between moral injury and PTS, but yet they can intersect. So we'll go over some of those details as well. 
And then I'll try to get into some details that you may take into account with the characters that you're writing. How would they be impacted by moral injury and how can you write that into the stories that you're composing? And then finally, of course, moral injury just doesn't impact the military member or the first responder or the police officer. It, it impacts their family members as well. So when we talk about moral injury, it is actually impacting, for me, past or present military, and then individuals that are making emergency decisions in a life or death circumstance. So when you think about that, it would be police officers, firefighters, first responders, emergency medical personnel. A lot of times it's these people that are coming up on horrific situations and they deal with the outcomes then of those horrific situations. So when we talk about moral injury, and whenever I go through this presentation, I will just focus on military veterans, although it can impact all of these different groups that I just listed uh, with you, and it can impact others that fit inside of the definition. So it can be civilians as well. But for me, my knowledge base is really on the military and then also some of the uh, community protectors as well. So when you talk about moral injury, the layman's definition would be an action or a lack of action that goes against your core moral values. These are the things that you've been taught ever since you were a little kid of what's right and what's wrong. You don't take toys from your friend. You don't push somebody off of the slide when you're on the playground. And then it even progresses to where you don't hurt someone. We're taught from very young what we are supposed to do, how we're supposed to behave to other people. So whenever we don't do those things, whenever our jobs or our, our um, commitments put us in a different um, situation, and it goes against those core moral values, it's going to result in instances of, of guilt and at its worst, shame. And we feel that whenever uh, those, the shame is reached for an individual, especially a military individual, that is when uh, they have the potential for uh, committing suicide. So, little interaction here with the audience. So I'm talking about military members, and this is something that goes against core beliefs that you're taught as a child. What do you think, as a military member, what do you think could be one of the first things that could bring you moral injury? Combat. What was it? Combat. Combat. Killing in battle. Absolutely, that goes against the basics of what we're taught as as children, as adults, you don't hurt other people, but yet it is sanctioned in war that we do have that right to kill other people. But there are different types of killing. So you could be killing the enemy out on the battlefield or wherever, civilians, and that could be innocent civilians or it could be those that are not so innocent and they're involved in the conflict. 
Friendly fire is another opportunity to develop moral injury for your characters. And so friendly fire is whenever you accidentally kill one of your own soldier, sailors, airmen, and marines. And Pat Tillman from the Arizona Cardinals is an example of what happened. He signed up post 9-11, uh, and uh, he was a member of the Arizona Cardinals, and he was killed in Afghanistan by his own unit, by mistake. And then there's vengeance killing. And that is the absolute worst type of killing because you're killing with hatred in your heart. And it could be civilians, it could be military enemy that you're fighting, it can even be prisoners of war. And that's when the hatred takes over and you just kill indiscriminately. You might remember the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam. That's an example of, of uh, vengeance killing. And then um, Sergeant Bales in Afghanistan actually went from uh, to several villages and killed innocent um, villagers there as well. So those are some examples of vengeance killing. You can witness killing. And that could be the enemy, that could be the civilian, that could be your military buddy that you're next to, that you've gone through basic training with. And that could be another thing that could lead to moral injury. Handling remains. Mortuary units have some of the highest levels of moral injury than any other specialty inside of the armed forces because they are picking up the bits and pieces that are left behind on the battlefield. And in many cases, when you consider Iraq, um, that they've been sitting out on the desert, it's 100 degrees, and a lot of times these pieces just get liquefied. And so they are not only retrieving the body parts and the bodies, but then they have to bring them back and identify who do they belong to. So mortuary units really have high levels of suffering. Drone warfare, and they call this uh, warfare with toys. Now that's kind of the, the terminology that they've been uh, using. But a drone uh, warfare operator or anyone on that team could be hundreds or even thousands of miles away from the battlefield. Yet they can suffer moral injury because of what they're doing. The drones are circling overhead and they're watching on their screens back at the base what's happening and then the command is given to release the missile or whatever explosive device that they are using and then it goes to the target. So not only are they looking uh, at killing uh, of the target, then they wait until the dust and the smoke clears and they're still hovering and looking and then they have to count the parts and pieces that are left over uh, to ensure that their mission is complete. So we have drone warfare as well. There's that inability to help others in great need, and that could be your military buddy who's dying in your arms because he's just been shot, or it could be civilians. Some of my vet friends have talked about in Iraq, they were in convoy missions. And they would have, uh, they would be driving their, um, their vehicles uh, past families who were alongside the road struggling, and they were concerned that they would not live, but they had to pass them by. They could not stop and help them because that was not part of their mission. And it could also put them in great danger because you never know what you're going to uh, come in contact with when you're talking and stopping a convoy along. 
on the side of the road. So that wasn't going to happen. So that caused them great distress because it's very normal for us to want to help people in need. We want to do that. That's part of our things that we're taught as children is to help others in need. And then a superior's orders uh, or action that that superior might be taking and that could conflict with what you're feeling inside of your core values. So definitely the order that you don't believe in could bring moral injury, but it could be their action that they're, uh, they're, they're doing. And one that um, comes to mind could be that a superior is having an affair with uh, someone inside of the unit and uh, that definitely goes against um, military values. You do not do those things. And then what could make it even worse is that that could be an officer and it could be an enlisted that are having the affair. And that is an absolute no, no, never uh, have fraternization between officer and enlisted. So those would be uh, instances that would cause great extreme moral injury for some people. So you've heard a lot about PTS, I'm sure. And, you know, we've done a really good job of talking about that because that has been a real issue for us in, in war. And it's actually been with us since the beginning of warfare. And uh, different civilizations have had ways of addressing PTS, but we kind of like forgot about all that good stuff that was going on back then, how they were reintegrating um, the warriors back into the tribe into the, or into the village, whatever that is, we kind of forgot about those things along the way. So we've kind of brought that to the forefront and we've been talking a lot about that since um, Afghanistan and Iraq. But post-traumatic stress disorder is not moral injury and moral injury is not PTS. But they can be combined. And whenever they're combined, the suicide rate just goes through the roof. And so every day, uh, the average is 20 veterans take their, their lives. They will eat their guns or whatever it is um, and in their lives. And uh, about one active duty person will, will do that as well. So most of the time they are struggling with PTS and probably moral injury as well. And that's what's driving their issues. So PTS is a medical condition that requires a diagnosis. Something is going on inside of the body. That traumatic event is causing stress inside of the body. Moral injury impacts the conscience and causes spiritual distress for the individual. So here's a, a, a graphic that kind of goes into what, uh, what are they like and how are they not alike inside of moral injury and PTS. So PTS has the startle reflex and you're going back to that event that happened, your traumatic event, and you start going back into hypervigilance. Your jaw tightens, your reflexes, your heart is going rapidly. So that is your startle reflex that you're experiencing. There's memory loss because your brain is trying to protect yourself and you're blacking these things out. And so, yes? Will these slides be available? I can make them available. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Oh, not a problem. Did she write down a card now? Is she in trouble? She didn't put that on card. Uh, okay, all right, well, you're good, you're good. I didn't want to get you in trouble, but there are rules. You know, I'm military, so. Okay, um, 
Um, so there's memory loss because your brain is trying to shut down, trying to keep you from going back to that traumatic event. Of course, there's fear. And then there's the flashbacks, which we talk about as being walking nightmares. So for moral injury, we've already talked about the sorrow, the grief, the regret, at its worst, shame. And all of those combined make you feel like, I am less of a person, and I don't deserve to be around people. So you alienate yourself. You have your little wound down in the basement, you alienate yourself from the community, and at worst, you're alienating yourself from your family. Together, they both have anger, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and that is a really crucial one to break through for the military uh, veteran because you got to reestablish the sleep cycles so that the body and the mind can heal. So if you're not getting good sleep, you're not going to be able to get better. So it's really important. Uh, the therapists really work hard with them to try to reestablish their uh, sleep patterns. Then, of course, there's the nightmares that maybe keep you from sleeping. And then we see a lot of self-medication with drugs and alcohol because you're trying to drink away uh, the memories and uh, the shame that you feel from what you've done. So now um, I'm going to get into trying to help you um, with um, writing your characters. And I'm going to break this down into primary and secondary. And just to make it simple for us and simple for me would be, I'm going to talk about the primary character as the military veteran who is a male and who is suffering with moral injury. So we'll call him the primary one. And it's just an easier way for me to share the information. Um, you could mix it up with your characters however you wanted to. So, you know, that's up to you in the situations that you decide you want to, to have happen inside your book or your short story or your poem. And then secondary, I'm going to talk about as um, the caregiver. So in most cases, that's the wife, that's the spouse. And then also the children in the family. And we're going to talk about the traits that they would be displaying uh, with um, moral injury. So the primary person, so the military veteran, and also, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but this could be transferred to police officers, to firefighters, anybody who puts their life out on the line to protect us, this certainly could apply to them. So you just have to think through with your book and your characters what you want to do and how you want this all to frame out for you. So the primary character is feeling very frustrated and anxious and, of course, hurt. And he's stubborn. And he's boxing himself in. He's folding these flaps in on himself because he wants self-protection. I don't want to deal with anybody right now because I'm hurt. And um, what's really difficult is that it's hard for the caregiver because she's still got to take care of the family and still got to make decisions and stuff. And he's not wanting to talk about anything because he's all boxed in. So it's a real problem for the caregiver. And then um, it's hard for him to accept perhaps new treatment ways uh, or opportunities for him to get better. Because, oh, I don't want to try that. I'm here in my box. I'm happy being in my box. Well, really, I'm not happy being in my box, but I'm in my box. And I'm not going to get out. So it really makes it difficult in a treatment operate or a treatment process to be able to help them get past whatever it is that they're dealing with. 
of course they feel unworthy. And a lot of that comes from the self-doubt that they have. If only I would have done this. Why didn't I do this? And um, then maybe Joe would still be alive. So they're dealing with a lot of um, self-doubt, and because of that, they feel very unworthy. Of course, they don't want to actively engage because they're stuck inside the boss. And they have this feeling with military people or you know, community protectors, I'm the strong one. I'm the one that's in charge here. That's what I've been trained to do. So they're not going to tell you when they're weak and when they're vulnerable. So they're hiding that all inside of themselves and then covering up with this strong facade that they have. One thing to remember when you're building your characters is that, and you decide you want um, someone with um, moral injury inside of your, your story, anger is actually the secondary emotion. They're feeling all of these other things and they're using the anger for their protection. So they will be vocal and they will have lots of anger sharing uh, their frustration, but actually it's all these other things that are in behind that. And the anger is very addictive because they're getting all this big rush. They're feeling all of this adrenaline come forth and they kind of like it and they kind of get stuck in it. And it can just be a nightmare situation for the family to have to deal with. And one of the things one of my caretakers um, that I talked with before I put this presentation together, she said, just please remind, remind your writers that it's hurt people hurt people. And it's not that these are bad dudes, not that they're crazy, but they're just hurt. And they lash out because they are hurt. So, hey, I'm military. Hey, I'm a first responder. Hey, I'm a police officer. So I know what I'm doing. I'm going to fall back on my training first before I do anything else because I've trained and trained and trained and trained. And so it just comes second nature. Whenever I get into a crisis situation, I am going to fall back to my training. And so whenever they do, they speak with authority and they don't ask you to do something. They tell you to do something because that's the way they've been trained. So that's the way your characters will interact with one another. They have this authoritative voice because they know that if they talk loudly and they have this authoritative voice, um, you'll pay attention to what they're saying. And then they get real snippy and smart-alecky with you when you're trying to have a conversation. Well, you should have known better. I can't believe you're so stupid. So that's the kind of dialogue that they'll have with their caregivers or with their children as well. They'll give more one-word answers. Trash. Everybody knows what that means. Got to get the trash down to the end of the driveway. Dishes. Somebody has left a cup or a bowl in the sink and it needs to be washed or it needs to be put in the dishwasher. And then, um, and I say here one word answers, they're really commands, they're not answers, they're commands. And then the other thing that they will add to those commands is now. I want it, I don't want it done a minute ago, I don't want it done a minute from now, I want it done right now. And they'll do more things that are adrenaline rushes for them because that's how they get, um, 
That's how they get their thrill. That's how they get the uh, emotion and that pumping through their system again. Jackson County uh, Veterans Court is a treatment court for veterans. And there's actually one in Johnson County too, but the one in Jackson County I know the most about because it has actually been uh, in, um, in operation for quite some time. And uh, it's actually about, and this may be something good to include in your, in your book because there are uh, veteran treatment courts throughout the, um, throughout the United States, but it's really about whenever a veteran has issues and he or she feels broken because of their service, they will act out. And a lot of times they act out with guns. They like to play with guns. And um, they like to drive their cars really fast. And they like to do that pretty carelessly. Um, of course, they're self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. So they're always, they're getting into trouble with that. And then the most horrific thing that probably comes from uh, those areas that they get into trouble with is domestic abuse because so much of that anger is coming out and they take it out on those that are closest to them. So those are kind of the four key areas in the Jackson County Veterans Court that they really try to focus on. The idea is that you keep the veteran in treatment because most of the time his issues are because of service to his country. He's broken because of his moral uh, injury and what they try to do is get him the treatment that he deserves from the VA or other sources, try to get them um, back on track, and then not put them in jail. So they will have a certain period of time that they will have to complete their, um, to complete their treatments, and then they report back to the court, and actually their record is expunged if they meet all of those uh, requirements that they're supposed to. The repeat rate for the regular citizens in the in um, in the county is like seventy percent. So seventy percent chance they're going to get back into trouble again. Whenever a veteran goes through veteran treatment court, it is less than thirty percent. So it's really it makes a big difference, and I think it's a great program. And um, Jackson County also takes in vets from some of the surrounding, the smaller surrounding counties as well. So they're doing a really good job with that. And I think that would be a really interesting angle that you might be able to work into your writing or into your book. Inside the home. Okay, so do we have any romance writers in here? Any romance? Okay. You got your work cut out for you. Just want to tell you that. Because this is a very turbulent household. It's not unified because they're always arguing. They're always fighting. And mostly it's because of the um, military veteran, the, the primary character. And there's kind of intimacy issues inside of all of that. So, got some problems there. The meds cause dysfunction for, um, for the primary character. There could be no desire, or he can't even perform. So just think, you've, you've been deployed to a foreign country for, you know, a year, maybe even 18 months or more, and you want to come home and be intimate with your wife, and because of the medications that you're on, there's just no hope. And so that causes a downward spiral. Then, sometimes they can get off the meds, and they think they're 16 again, and they become over-sexualized. But the thing is, is that the vet gets help, uh, he initiates intimacy, 
And the care, care, caregiver is, seriously, dude, I've got this and this and this and this to do. I am not interested in your advances. So she doesn't get help, and it just starts that vicious cycle of arguing and um, being unhappy all over again. And then the other thing is that the caregiver gives a very high level of personal assistance and so she may be bathing him or laying out his clothing for him, putting it on for him, you know, doing hygiene like combing his hair or whatever it might be. And she begins to look at her spouse as more of a child rather than as a lover. And so that diminishes her sexual drive for her husband. Now the secondary character. So this would be the caregiver. And the caregiver feels a lot of the same things that's going on with, uh, her, with her spouse who is experiencing the moral injury. So in your book, in your writing, your caregiver might be isolated. She feels isolated, resentful, because this isn't anything that she thought she was signing up for when she married this guy. She had no idea that this was going to happen. She might feel alienated, just like her husband does. She has to be really careful about getting out in public. She has that shame of what she's being asked to do and how they're performing as a, a couple and as a family. And she becomes hyper-vigilant because everybody's walking on eggshells because they don't know when daddy's gonna go off. So everybody's on eggshells. She is the uh, buffer between him and the children as well. So she's doing double duty. So she's watching out for both for herself and for her children. And my friend who's a caregiver said, um, you know, it really does affect the whole family, but she called it an infection, an infection that just eats away at the happiness of the family. And she also tells the story about you don't go out because you don't know who you're gonna run into. And that could be another uh, buddy from um, the military unit, and maybe that sparks um, and memories and issues for him. Um, she tells a story about uh, one of her friends who is a wife of a police officer. They, uh, he had a very difficult apprehension of a criminal, and it took him a lot of time, a lot of effort, but he was able to put him behind bars, and he goes home. Not sure if it's that day or the next day, and he decides, hey, let's all go out for, let's all go out for dinner. I'll take in the whole family out for dinner. So they go out for dinner, and right as they walk in the door uh, to IHOP, they see the perp sitting there eating pancakes. And so it's like, I had to work so hard to get this guy behind bars, and now he's sitting right there eating pancakes at the same place where I'm going to take my family. And so that's a real issue for those individuals, is that you just don't know what you're going to run into whenever you go out. Also, um, they can, a caregiver can become more motherly. And things that you and I would take for granted, like I would tell my husband, the trash, trash needs to go down to the, to the driveway. Well, she has to congratulate him that he's taken the trash out. And that's part of their uh, therapeutic treatment. So um, they'll, they'll be given little duties 
to help them retrain their brains and um, get little um, successes that they can do because this is a real uh, real issue for them to be able to get out and uh, and just do things that you and I would take for granted. So um, she's happy to congratulate him and pat him on the back or take him out to trash. A friend of mine is telling me the story of her husband who suffered severe back injuries during his time when he was in Iraq. And part of his treatment is to, uh, his therapy would be to uh, try to not use his cane as much. And here's this dude, he's like 35 years old and he's like six foot whatever, and you know, probably makes two of me. And um, he can't walk with, without a cane. But part of his treatment is, let's see how far you can go without that cane. And let's get you into the public. Let's try to get you into the grocery store and go buy a loaf of bread. And that may be all that they do. And that, they try to do that and practice that to retrain themselves to be back out into the public. So anyway, she and her husband decide that they're going to, they're going to go try this, this new therapy that they've been given. And of course, he is handicapped and he has um, the right to park into a handicapped spot. So he pulls in. And here's this big honking guy gets out and he's not, he's trying not to use his cane. I don't want to use my cane. And he starts getting stink eye because people see him pulling into a handicapped spot and they're not getting that he's got a very deep, deep invisible wound. And yeah, it looks good to you, but he is really struggling to be able to get out of his car and go into the grocery store. And then she said on the opposite end of the spectrum, was that as soon as they got into the grocery store, um, people who knew them recognized him and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, they're thanking him for his service. So he's getting two entirely different um, uh, recognitions from people. One's not is terrible and one is just doesn't seem to fit the circumstances right now. And one of the things too that she had said was, Please tell them that, you know, we're not all bad people, we're not all crazy people, but we just have to try to find the humor in it all. And she says, because if you don't, you're just going to cry. You're not going to be able to get through it. So she says, it's important for my husband and I to find the little things that make us smile. And sometimes we have to work really hard to find them, but we do find them every once in a while, and so that really helps with them, with them as well. Now we talk about the children. So you might have children inside of your writing or uh, in your novel. The children, just like the mama, become hypervigilant because they're afraid they're gonna get yelled at again. Daddy's gonna pop off and have one of his fits and one day it may be something that won't even bother him and the next day he goes off into the stratosphere. So you don't even know what you're gonna get whenever he gets up in the morning and you're yelled at of lots of little minor things, and they really have more expectations because they have grown up into a military lifestyle. So they're gonna have more chores and more responsibilities. And those responsibilities can actually be um, making sure dad gets up out of bed, because they don't know if he is. Making sure he gets his meds, and even at one level, making sure he gets dressed. And so the, the tables are turned. 
it's like the parent becomes the child and the child becomes the parent in this case. And of course they worry about their parent. And a lot of it, and they worry about their situation. They may worry about you know, dad having one of his issues. Will he ever get better? Um, and then is he going to be mean to mom today? And then the other thing would be, are we even gonna be a family anymore? So those are some of the struggles that the children are going through. You'll find that they have a unique resiliency, but there are lots of uh, cases of depression and anxiety, which certainly uh, you can understand in the uh, environment that they're growing up in. So if we want to, uh, if you want inside of your book to perhaps address some things that might help, one of your characters who might have moral injury, here are some things that you might consider would be uh, group therapy. So whenever a veteran talks with another veteran in these group therapy sessions, it's really good because they hear that Joe is experiencing the same kind of stuff that I'm experiencing. And I guess that makes it, I, I don't feel so bad about that now. I feel, you know, I feel difficult because, you know, I'm yelling at the kids, but, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling so bad about the situation that, that I endured. There's, of course, individual therapy. Veteran support groups and social groups can be really, really key because they offer that safe environment and it's lots of camaraderie because there is nothing like military camaraderie uh, for, some, uh, for some military members. In fact, some people say that um, they love their military buddies more than they love their spouse because they just had that relationship with them uh, during the, on the battlefield or in boot camp or whatever that might be. So they have that close-knit feeling with them. And then inside of those groups, they can actually find another purpose, which is volunteering. And um, it, we volunteered to serve our country when we signed up and, and uh, gave our oath. And then, um, you know, now we're out. Many times we're on a military uh, medical discharge. Um, and then we can actually volunteer in the community. And maybe that's with your church. Maybe that's with the school. Maybe that's you know, with one of these veteran service groups. You see a lot of uh, veteran groups like um, Team Rubicon, Team Red, Red, and Blue, lots of great groups that can work together. Creative outlets are very important, and that's something that, um, that I've been working with now since I've moved to Kansas City. And uh, it is with our Kansas City Veterans Writing Team. And we've been holding veteran writing workshops, and we invite family members as well, 16 years of age and up, and uh, we teach them the tips and tools and techniques for writing so that they can uh, write their military experiences. And then from there, we hope that it can be a tool that they can use in their healing process. So very, very critical. Um, we've had a lot of success with it. 2,000 opportunities for veterans to share their stories, either in written format or in verbal format. Um, we just had a Vets Reading Readers Theater on Wednesday night down at the Plaza Library. They read their stories that they worked on uh, during the fall workshop, and um, probably had 50, 60 people there, so I was pretty, pretty pleased with that. 
And then there's ritual practices signifying cleansing and healing. And so water is one of those things that you would use just like in baptism. You might use water to cleanse the blood and uh, cleanse the sins of battle from, from your soul. So that might be something. The Navajo Indians, if you wanted to do some research, they've done a lot of work with reintegrating the warriors back into the tribe. And so it wasn't like you just got out of battle and you went back to the tribe. There was actually a process that they had in place where you would spend weeks before you were allowed to come back into the tribe. And a lot of that was talk therapy that they did and just talking out the issues that they had. And then um, there's also the power of positivity. Well, if you're gonna be negative all the time, that's not gonna work, so you need to be positive as well. Mindfulness, you're in the moment, you're thinking about what makes you angry at that particular moment. And whenever you think it through, it's really not that bad. So mindfulness is really important. And then I think it's also one thing to share is just offers of help. Instead of thank you for your service, maybe you can mow your neighbor's lawn for them, or maybe you can take the kids out for a movie, or you know just do little wash the car or whatever. Just those kinds of things can really take the burden from, uh, from the caregiver and from the rest of the family. So really when it gets down to it, here's kind of like the, the summation would be getting vets squared away with their self-awareness. So where am I at in life at this particular time? Is my family struggling? Am I struggling? What is it? You have to remember what it was that put you where you're at. There's that self-assessment of what your memory is and you, self, you assess it against what you were required to do and what made you take the action or not take the action that you did. And finally, there's self-forgiveness. So a lot of times what you'll see the vet struggle with is that he will say, I hate God, or at its very worst, why does God hate me? And the key for them is resiliency. So if they have a solid foundation, many can bounce back from some of the worst, the worst wars of war can bring, but with a solid foundation and a good family and a functioning family unit, uh, they can really, um, they can break through and uh, get the treatment and be able to function uh, as a, a regular person. They are never healed. We are never, veterans never undo or unsee what they had to do or what they had to see. So it's always a, a daily process of negotiating the brokenness is what we call them. And so here's some of the uh, sources that I've used for my presentation. Um, Moral Injury Association of America, if you, that's our site, so you could go there. Uh, and then if you want to send me an email, if you're needing something, you can send me an email, maybe on my website, I'll put this presentation up there so that it would be there for you. But it'll be a couple of days before I get to it. So, but I'll try to put it up there for you, okay? All right, so I was gonna, I was gonna do a, um, we'll, we'll put it, leave it right there, and then you had some, Questions? Do we have some questions yet? Does anybody else have questions? I'm going to use this so everybody can hear the question. Absolutely. Do women have similar responses to the moral injury meds as men do? <laughs> you know, that would probably be a question for the doctor because I'm not quite sure what they would be. I think that that definitely would be something that could happen. Um, but, um, you know, I think that this function kind of falls into different areas. But I'm not totally sure about that. But it might be something that... Um, 
certainly would be something to consider as far as lowering the libido could be uh, something that they might experience. But I don't know really about that one. Um, what about moral injury within a group of primary people? For example, a platoon of soldiers who still have to work together. Are they closer, bound by guilt, accusatory, or blame throwing? Mm, good question. Um, now, here's the thing that you'll find that um, whenever you're still with your unit, you are have you are experiencing that military uh, camaraderie. And it's not as difficult to get through things um, because you're with others in that same group. Um, the, the thing that we see is that whenever you disengage from your unit, so many times you might, um, you might not decide to sign back up again, or you might get a medical discharge because you're injured and so they put you out medically, um, that's when you'll see a spike in the suicide rates because they leave their groupings uh, that they're associated with because that military camaraderie is so deep. But uh, the other thing is, is that um, whenever you lose that opportunity to, um, when you're out on the battlefield, you're always moving, you're always engaged, you're always, always doing this, so that whenever you, um, you might be back home, your deployment is over, that definitely could be another uh, opportunity. You'd still be in your unit, but you're just not as close-knit and pulled together as what you would be when you're actually deployed. So then you see some issues as well. Um, someone would like to know the name of the woman you took your training from for moral injury. Ah, yes. Okay, that was Dr. Rita Brock. And I got her book up here, Read Soul Repair. Um, she is actually the senior vice president of um, the Moral Injury uh, Program for Volunteers of America. So she has um, she is really getting the word out about uh, moral injury, and not just she was really focused on the military side of things, but now she's actually expanded that into the civilian side as well. So Dr. Rita Brock, she's fabulous, and um, I really look up to her. She's very very knowledgeable. Okay, and any other questions? Yes. Yeah, um, I happen to be at a church and the resurrection program on the same topic when there were some officers present from Fort Bragg, this goes back maybe a couple years ago. Oh, okay, and sure. Something that came up for discussion, and I'm wondering if this has changed at all, is that there had been strong resistance on the part of the military or VA to recognize that moral injury even exists. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, it, how is the VA and the military recognizing that moral injury exists? Yes, um, the VA, you find pockets of greatness and excellence in some VAs, and there's a great program at the Minneapolis VA that's called Building Spiritual Strength, and we actually brought her down uh, to train some of our folks, um, uh, just some counselors and stuff, just to try to get the word out about um, moral injury. But it just seems like they're not well connected. And you would think in your own organization, you have this wonderful program that uh, is all about helping these veterans heal, that that would be adopted throughout all of the uh, through all of the VAs, but it just doesn't seem like that happens. I think it's recognizable. I think both the military and um, and the um, 
the VA recognize it, but the problem with the military is that there is no program set up to disengage, to successfully disengage a soldier, or say or airman or marine, from active military service and push them out into the community. It really, I mean, it really is. They push them out into the community rather than reintegrate, helping them reintegrate back into the community. And that can be very, very difficult. A military member is, um, you know that you need to do this and this and this. You're very regimented. Um, you're very um, focused on what your mission is. And a lot of times, whenever they get out to the civilian sector, um, they kind of think we're a bunch of losers because we're all kind of loosey-goosey going around. It's like, oh, I'll get to that after lunch or whatever it is. And and sometimes the military, um, like, I don't fit in with these people. I don't know where they're coming from. Or you even hear some of them say, well, they're not good enough because they didn't go serve. I was the one that served. So, yeah, it's. I think that, you know, these kinds of things where we're sharing information about moral injury, I think are very, very critical and important. And so I just hope that, you know, you all can take this knowledge and put it in your next best-selling novel. It's gonna be sitting at the bestsellers list for like how many, like, I don't know, two years or something. And so you guys can help me get the word out. You have a couple of minutes. Do you wanna give your writing prompt? Sure, I can. You don't have to, I'm gonna put it up here. And um, why don't you, um, if you want to, take it down, take a picture of it or whatever. And my writing prompt was compose a paragraph describing items you might find on the nightstand of a person struggling with moral injury. So if you want to, yeah, so if you want to write a couple of lines, go ahead and email them to me. Send them to me at, um, uh, at my website, you can send them to me, and maybe I'll put them up there, uh, and we can all read them later on if you want to do something like that. Um, but I think you can you know, really get into, maybe that will be the impetus for your next uh, writing project, will be this prompt right here. Great. Okay, yes? When you gave the description, or you were comparing PTSD with moral injury, you said that PTSD was a medical condition that required diagnosis. Yes. And then you gave a, a comparable description of moral injury. Uh, Do you want to go back to that slide? Yeah. Sure. Sure, sure. Was it this one? Yeah. Next one? You went the circle? That's it. Thank you. Okay, got it. No, it was the one before it? Okay, now who's messing me up out there? Okay, there you go. Yep. All right, anything else? Well, we're out of time. All right, thank you so much, everybody. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.